John. 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 217 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I'm Pat, but I'm, I'm not here. <laughs> I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And it appears that while checking out research for this Archie show, Patrick discovered the character of Jughead, who sits around eating hamburgers while life passes him by. So he's reevaluating his life choices and shopping for a crown. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> I think we get all high. Is Jughead high? In the old no, one? Pat is. Oh, I mean, I was saying the old one, maybe. <laughs> he never opens his eyes. Yeah, he definitely looks like it. Yeah. So yeah, this week we are comparing the old school Archie to the new, I think it's a WB show of Riverdale. CW. Uh, CW oh, yeah. CW. Yeah, of uh, Riverdale. So. Yeah, this year is the 55th anniversary of Archie. Like I said in the end of last show that was 50th, but uh, my math was bad. That's insane. Math is hard. And it's still like new stuff showing up all the time on the checkout at the, at the grocery stores where I see it the most. <laughs> if you like new stuff showing up all the time, you'd love oh, the shows ooh. of the Podcast Collective. That, Thank you for that set, Mike. That, that was, was perfect. a good one. Yeah, uh, you'll find such shows as the Bad Parenting Podcast, I Am Salt Lake, the Empty Rant Podcast, and of course, the Red Dead Radio Hour. Joel, you said we had a new one last week. What was? What's the new one? Uh, it's called The Show with Justin and Justin. It's Justin from Bad Parenting Podcast's new <clears throat> show. Yeah. Uh, with his buddy, Justin. Oh, very nice. Good stuff. So, yeah, so if you're looking for our older stuff, uh, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, all sorts of podcasting directories. Uh, and you can also find us on our home on the web, 40go14.com. Or you can get in touch with us at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. Listener feedback, uh, we don't have a heck of a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of uh, on a shortened schedule because we're approaching Thanksgiving. I think this uh, show is going to drop after Thanksgiving. Yes, this is going to show up after T-Day. Um, we did a little bit conversation of, uh, let's see, who somebody accused us of killing uh, the guy from... Oh, Killing Higgins? Killing Higgins, yes. Yeah, that's right. When we were doing Blazing Saddles, I discovered mid-show that he had died hours earlier. Yeah, so we all and have I alibis. no responsibility. Yes. We all have an alibi. Yeah, we all were around somebody else at the time Higgins died. So we did not kill Higgins. Allegedly. So Allegedly. Allegedly did not kill Higgins, yes. So yeah, so... Uh, a week later, actually. But yeah, he what's died that? a week later. Than what they said, actually. Oh, really? Wait. No, you're talking about. You're, wait, what? That's not possible, Joel. I'm trying to segue into Riverdale later. I don't know uh. if you know how this works. <laughs> I don't. I, Pat's not here. I'm lost. But I will tell you, it's about that time. Oh yeah, it's definitely about that time. This week in music, <clears throat> movies, and TV. All right, so oh, who's doing sports? Uh, not it. I'll do sports. <laughs> All right, so the date we chose was September fourteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. Is the premiere of the Archie Show cartoon, which had a giant jukebox and all the sound effects that you would expect from a cartoon made in nineteen sixty-eight. And a shaggy dog that you could hear what he was thinking. 
No, that's the movie, The Shaggy Dog. <laughs> that's probably where they got it from. They're like, huh, work for that Archie show. We should run with this. But yeah. Rup, 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 rup. So, Joel, take it from music. <laughs> music. Music. The top five songs in reverse order were Light My Fire by Jose Feliciano. People Got to Be Free by The Rascals. One, two, three, Red Light by 1910 Fruit Gum Company. Hey Jude by The Beatles. And the number one song in the land was Harper Valley PTA by Jeannie C. Riley. Okay, I, I know all of those songs aside from One, Two, Three, Red Light by the 1910 Fruit Gum Company. Which I, they did, we talked about last week. They're the ones that did the, uh, uh, that song that was on the Burger King commercial. So Not are jingles show. just working their way into the top? We don't have <laughs> enough music this week for a top five. Let's throw a jingle in there. Wait. It's not that uh, Sugar Sugar. It was the other song about uh, uh, food that we were like, who did that? Was that the Archies? And we're like, oh, no, it was 1910 Fruit Cream Company is what Pat decided. Uh, I must have been looking up the YouTube video for the uh, Sugar Sugar at the time. Hey, I'm going to see one, two, three, red light, what this sounds like. Kind of dig it. I did. Well, you Never know why? Because um, they show the cover of the album on this. These are the same guys who did Yummy, well, Yummy, 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 and uh, the, the Mighty Quinn. Oh. Which I love the song, The Mighty Quinn. That's a great. That's a great song. And the lead singer kind of looks like um, what's his name from Taken? Liam Neeson. Yeah, the <laughs> lead singer kind of looks like the like looks like Liam Neeson. I've got a very special set of skills that include yummy, yummy, yummy. <laughs> and do not include naming bands. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've got in my 1910 Fruit Gum, great songs, lousy name for a band. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what are we going to call ourselves? I don't know. Would you like some gum? Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's Fruit Gum. It's old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Antonio Hardy was born on September 10th, a master wordsmith and widely considered one of the most influential MCs of the golden age of rap. He pulled a stage name from the show Kung Fu and Vincent Price's character from the movie Beach Party. You may know him as the acronym of the week, PDK. Of course, that's Big Dick Kangaroo. <laughs> you just started yeah, the, the Rick. Yeah, the, the, famous, the famous scene where Vincent Price is playing a marsupial with a giant erection on the beach. <laughs> Poor Annette, she was traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> what is that, though? I think you looked it up, right? We looked Plus it up. Big Daddy Kane. Yes, BDK, oh. Big Daddy Kane. Oh, I, I would totally movie. watch a beach movie with a big dick kangaroo <laughs> running around. Played by Vincent Price. <laughs> Gaze upon my erection. I have for you. And see, I don't know why we worry about not going to these weird places when Pat's not here. It kind of happens naturally. Yeah. <laughs> What's in my pouch? Boy. <laughs> uh, I call him Joey. <laughs> okay. Mark Whoa. Anthony. Latin singer whose only top 40 hit was the catchy I Need to Know. And ex-husband of Jennifer Lopez was born on September 16th. He does have a clothing line, though. Mark, it, and it's sold at Kohl's. The only reason I know huh. that, yeah, because I saw I, I saw a sign for it 
when I was there looking for another Hawaiian shirt and it was just it was kind of weird because I saw his name and I was just kind of like why do I know that but that's all go up to the register I need to know how much this is um, well, it's crazy to me that he only had one top 40 hit because I would have assumed like I thought I remembered more than that huh I don't know Pat wrote that one not me so yeah, but I'm looking online and I don't see another one that's like I remember. So I, my memory is obviously faulty. You're confusing him with Ricky Martin. Maybe. Could be. I confuse Jennifer Lopez with Ricky Martin all the time. Well, who doesn't? Or maybe he has other hits, but like him and somebody else. Could be. Uh, Mark Anthony in the 1910 Fruit Game Gum Company. <laughs> <laughs> uh Lastly, Daryl Hill was born on September 18th and later went on to be part of the Wu-Tang Clan known as Capadonna. Nice. Not to be confused with Daryl Hall, who has nothing to do with the Wu-Tang Clan. Right. Kangaroo ain't nothing to fuck with. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land is the Paul Newman-directed Rachel Rachel, starring Joanne Woodward. Have not seen that. I was going to say, I don't know anything about that sentence aside from the words Paul Newman. Was she Rachel or Rachel? She was the first Rachel. Ah, okay. Was that her erotic journey from Milan to Minsk? Yes, while riding in the pouch of a giant big dick kangaroo. (laughs) Played by Vincent Price. Paul Newman. Paul Newman was in his experimental stage at that point in his life, so. That's an iconic (laughs) character, really. Uh, Also, Barbara Streisand's Funny Girl was released this week. Saw it once. Not a big Barbara Streisand fan. Me either. I mean, you've got Yentl. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. I like uh, Yentl. Yeah, funny Girl. I, it's a landmark film, so. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't think much of it either. I like Yentl Soup. Warms you up. <laughs> Born on September 10th, Guy Ritchie is a film director slash writer of such masterpieces as Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, Sherlock Holmes, Rock and Rolla, and Swept Away? <laughs> Why did he include that one? That's not a masterpiece. I had to add Rock and Rolla because I just saw it a couple weeks ago. Well, but, and, and then, of course, The Man from Uncle that we did. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, true. for sure. Why would he put in Swept Away over Man from Uncle? He liked Man from Uncle. But probably as a gag because a guy didn't even know he did Swept Away. Yeah. It's kind of been swept under the carpet. That was his Madonna phase. Interesting. Before she became a man. (laughs) So moving on to TV. Uh, The top shows in the land are Rowan and Martin's Laughing, Gomer Pyle, USMC, and Bonanza. Yep, that sounds like the uh, Cheers, Family Ties, Cosby of the 60s. Mm -hmm. A weird kind of transition as it went from like, like I go over pile USMC to bananas. I kind of made this transition from like Westerns to military during this time. That's true. There was a lot of military shows in the seventies. Yeah. Before so we got the family comedies in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird. I think it'd be interesting to see why that happened. You know what, what the reasoning on that making that transition was why from, I mean, from Westerns to military kind of seems like a handoff, but it's, there's almost I would like guess a it's got to be a combination of there being a little bit of fatigue from so many westerns, a lot of the big westerns stars getting a little long <clears> in the tooth, 
maybe far and enough I'm, away from World War II that you could actually do a military movie without it being too uh, call ba- too bad of a callback. Yeah, that's the thing is I think also you've got this place in history where you fall in between Korea and Vietnam before everybody's like uh war. Yeah. Now let's <laughs> not make a comedy about war. Well, then we transition to like the teen dramas to the horror shows and now we're going into the superhero age. It seems like has there been a military themed comedy since Vietnam? Uh, not movie, but like a TV show. You mean like MASH or uh, uh, Gomer Pyle and that sort okay, of thing? Okay, no, MASH is a good example. That was that was one I hadn't thought of. Well, MASH was on for a long time. Yeah. So that that kind of, you know, just makes sense that it would be in there. But for, I'm trying to think of any any other. I I can't think of any since MASH ended. I mean, there was after MASH, but that wasn't funny. Right. right. And MASH kind of reflects that change we're talking about, where it's gone from war is goofy and fun, let's watch these funny soldiers, to let's satirize how terrible war is. Yeah. That might and be... once MASH is done, you can't really do that again. Right. Interesting. We're due for another one. I don't know. We need to do the Desert Storm comedy. <laughs> All right. Hey, you can, you can write that one, man. Um, Born on this day... Oh, no, sorry. On this date, the first broadcast of 60 Minutes aired on CBS. The show has continued to be a bro- be broadcast and is still on the air today, almost 50 years later. Huh. It's a hell of a long 60 Minutes. <laughs> uh, born on this day is the super douchey Dan Cortese, known for a slew of terrible television shows such as Melrose Place and Veronica's Closet. We should all turn our hats backward in tribute. My hat was backwards. Now it's forwards. Yeah, Dan Cortez. I'm not wearing a hat. He was like the epitome of the douche, in my opinion. Dan Cortese. Yeah, I, I, the name's familiar, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I'm Googling him now. Yeah. Imagine kind of orangey, long-haired, goofy smile, hat back. Women think he's sexy, but he's kind of a... I don't know what happened. I, I clicked Dan Cortese and searched it out of, the, out of our show notes, and I got a picture of Gerald Ford. Oh. Well, and I got a picture of Bill Hader as... Uh, Oh, there he is. Yeah, he's a douchebag. Okay. That's funny. There's all these pictures legitimately of Dan Cortese, and right in the middle there's a picture of Bill Hader as Stefan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Paul F. Tompkins was born on September 12th. He has done stand-up guest shots, recurring roles, and lots of voice work on shows such as BoJack Horseman, Rick and Morty, and Bob's Burgers. If you're not familiar with his stand-up, Patrick highly recommends it. He's a funny dude. And... His character, uh, he plays uh, Mr. Peanut Butter on BoJack Horseman. He's phenomenal. He kind of looks like Anchorman. Yeah, he's got that mustache and you know the hair he, thing yeah, going. He's entertaining guy for sure. Nice. I didn't, yeah, I, never I just just saw a comedy routine where he was guesting. It was a Eugene Merman bit where he had Paul F. Tompkins and Kumail Nanjiani uh, kind of do a guest spot in the middle of his bit. He does the voice of Gladstone Gander in DuckTales, the new one. Huh. We got to do that, too. Oh, man, I got to see the new DuckTales. I hear it's amazing. I heard great stuff. Yeah, we definitely have to do a DuckTales show. We got to put that on the list. Oh, yeah. Throw Um, it into the notes. (laughs) Yeah, so um, September 16th was also the famous appearance of Richard Nixon on Rowan and Martin's Laughing, where he said, Sock it to me. 
Yeah, we've actually talked about that moment quite a few times on the show already. Yeah, if you'd like to hear Woody Allen do a Richard Nixon impersonation, Joel. I, 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 uh, oh, uh. See, that's exactly why he was never on laughing. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. Oh, I, I, I'm not a crook. I did sleep with uh, my, my stepdaughter, though. <laughs> All right, moving on to sports. Jesus Christ. <laughs> In a boxing match held outdoors in the snow in the early morning hours of Stockholm so that it could be televised in primetime America, Jimmy Ellis beat Floyd Patterson in 15 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. Patterson was denied his attempt at a third recapturing of the title in what is generally considered one of the worst judged matches in boxing history. Referee Harold Vallon, who was the sole judge, scored nine rounds for Ellis and six rounds for Patterson, despite what everyone described as a beating handed out by Patterson. Ellis had a broken nose, a cut eye, and a cut cheek, while Patterson was virtually unmarked. The crowd was so upset by the decision that they booed the results and chanted Patterson's name. Yeah, it was a big deal. I I looked that up after I found that little bit, and it was crazy. That that almost sounds like there's got to be a payoff involving, like, gambling. Mm -hmm. I mean, if one dude's barely standing and is bleeding from the face and the other guy's barely breaking a sweat... Yeah, and a bunch of like magazines and and uh, sports related like uh, articles came out about it, and they had scored it themselves, and they were nowhere close to, to what this guy had come up with. So yeah, either that or he just was sticking to his guns. But I would guess payout. Yeah. Also, Bernabe Williams Figueroa Jr., better known as Bernie Williams, was born on September 13th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. He is a former professional baseball player who played his entire 16-year career with the New York Yankees from 1991 to 2006. He was a member of four World Series championship teams, was a five-time All-Star, and won four Golden Glove Awards. Known for his consistency in postseason heroics, Williams is one of the most beloved Yankees of all time, and his number was retired hired by the Yankees. Williams is also a classically trained guitarist. Following his absence from baseball, he released two jazz albums and was nominated for a Latin Grammy in 2009. Good for him. And I think it's funny you got through Barnabé, Williams, Figueroa, and then you messed up Junior. (laughs) I just stumbled there. I think I was reading ahead the next couple words, and my mouth was like, ah, I got this. It's just Junior. (laughs) I would have been like... I would have read it like, instead of getting it right, I would have been like, Woody Allen was known as Bernie Williams. I don't know where I'm going with that. I just wanted to reference Woody Allen. I can't talk. Keep going. That's the end. Oh. (laughs) No, 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 no. All right. (laughs) Let's go on to the main show. Class and professionalism all over the place in this joint. So Archie Comics, I mean, this is a little outside our wheelhouse, although I think we're all vaguely familiar with them. Oh, yeah. I remember when I used to go to my grandma's house in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, she always had the little Archie's Digest, the ones that were the little mini versions of it Mm -hmm. on the bookshelf. And she had like, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them. And I would just cycle through them periodically because there was not a lot to do during the downtime. It was either that or family circus. So... (laughs) Tough call. And I'm sure I read a bunch of these family-friendly comics. Like, I have clear memories of reading Archie and Richie Rich and Casper the Friendly Ghost and uh, what's the fat duck? Baby 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 Huey. 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 Yeah. But I don't remember why. Like, I don't remember buying them or how I encountered them, but I remember the characters and the plot lines. 
I remember buying the 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 digests, you know, the little digests and that sort of thing. And all the other Archie comics I have were obtained by my ma, who had a comic collection of her own. Um, That's cool. <clears throat> yeah, she handed them off to me. They were she read them to death. I read them to death. I think they have reverted back into the pulp from which they came at this point. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean Archie. I mean, and honestly, he was one of the first cartoon characters that I started sketching when I started to draw. Because I oh, just had cool. Archie comics all over the place. You know, it was a weird little, you know, uh, strange style. You know, I never could figure out what was going on with the back of his head. Because, <laughs> right. well, I mean, because here's the thing. I actually recall one episode or episode one, one comic where he takes the back of his hair off. What? I... I may have been doped up or dying or something, but I uh, I just I couldn't figure out the back of his hair. It's this crisscross type thing on the back of his head. The other thing that I liked is occasionally the Archie comics would delve like into this like like a haunted or they would have like a spooky story or a monster story that would come in there, like being told by Sabrina the Witch, who I told yeah I had that's a thing their for big Sabrina. Crossover. Yeah, that world and i remember watching the like hour and a half of archie comics cartoons which was archie sabrina the teenage witch and josie and the pussycats Mm -hmm. well what was interesting i I watched a um a youtube mini documentary about them and they talked about how uh, at the time when they were coming out all the superhero comics are coming and all these big story arcs and all these you know progression with the characters but archie the people wanted consistency. And so basically they just told the same story over and over again. And that lasted for what, 30, 30 years or so before the, uh, the kids took over and started to realize that that was stale, but Mm. it just kind of blows my mind that people would want that much consistency in their storyline that they would buy it. Cause it was hugely popular forever. Well, and they're only like a year after the early supers because we're talking 55 years. So we're talking 1942. Captain America was 1941. Okay. Yeah. The landscape was horror comics, superhero comics, westerns, and war comics. <clears throat> now, I think part of the response from all this, what you just said, Joel, I mean, the horror comics, the westerns, that sort of thing, uh, in reading about the creation of this, the creators of the Archie comics were actually part and parcel with um, making the comics code authority. Huh? Yeah. Were they the, like the driving force? I, let me take a look. I don't think so. That was uh, Dr. Uh, not Warrenstrom. <laughs> That's from yeah. Futurama. Uh, so. John Goldwater and Bob Mantano. John Goldwater was, I think in the, one of the chair people of the comic code authority and was part of creating the comics code. So Bob Goldwater or John Goldwater, thank you very much for kind of effing over comics for uh, 40 years. For people said, wait a second, we don't have to follow this, right? Um, oh, it was based. It all started because of that book that was written, uh, Seduction of the um, Innocent. Yes, I can't Good think of the guy's call. name though. Oh yeah, it's and I've actually read it. I got a hold of a copy once. It is all sorts of crazy pants. I mean, it is. It's basically video, the video games for now. You uh, know. Frederick Wor- Wortham, that's his name. Yeah. It's, kids are doing drugs. Why? Because they're reading these comics. That's why. We didn't have books with pictures in it when we were kids. Why do they need them now? <laughs> it's making them, do the ho- making them do the hooch and the roofer and the ding-dang-dongs. And... 
you know, what's interesting though, I, I went, I have a, I got a book for Christmas that was a, uh, a book all about EC comics and, and the horror comics boom and reading through it. And it has a bunch of, you know, of the stories from those comics that tales from the crypt and whatnot. They're pretty graphic and pretty gruesome. And it kind of makes me wish that I would have been a kid at that time, but I can see partially where that kind of craziness came from because they were that violent. Oh yeah. The EC comics, especially. Well, and I guess it makes sense as a reactionary kind of clap back to uh, comics are crazy right now. And what are they doing to our kids? Let's do something that's explicitly family, family friendly. Mm-hmm. And uh, without Archie, I wonder if we even get Scooby-Doo or some of the other like grape ape, all of the knockoff. Like we've got five, four teenagers and a talking animal. Right. Well, they initially created this to, like, exactly like you said, something family-friendly, but they based it off, oh, you're going to love this, the Andy Hardy movies that starred Mickey Rooney, mm-hmm. who is that a show sense. favorite. Um, yeah. I've always kind of thought of Archie as the earlier animated precursor to something like Happy Days, and Happy Days has some of those same feelings, where we're, like, eternally stuck in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Well... And you think about it, at the time with all those other comics, they were kind of geared toward boys. So here you've got, number one, teenagers, which there weren't a lot of teenagers in comics until Spider-Man came around. And you've got, um, you know, these, like I said, family-friendly kind of love triangle. And so girls could get into it. And young boys who weren't into superheroes, you know, gave them something to read that was kind of funny. And Jughead mm-hmm. was kind of the, you know, the, the goofy hamburger-eating buddy. Yeah, he- so it made sense that it... it fit a niche you know Mm -hmm. yeah and uh definitely like i think the main draw that nothing else had at the time aside from like explicitly romance-based comics was the big love triangle like if we're going to give context for the second half of the show we should probably talk about some of the main and even secondary characters there there were one i mean there was main characters you know say if you think archie you think archie betty veronica Jughead. And I would in- go so far as to include Reggie. Yeah, okay. The frequent antagonist slash like frenemy of Archie Andrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, our definitely Reggie would be. I, I don't think he falls back into um, tertiary or secondary character at all. But you right. got. Like, I think if you're a fan of Homestar Runner, you can actually see the inspiration for Homestar and Strong Bad in the relationship between Archie and Reggie Mm -hmm. where you've got Reggie is this guy who's a little darker, who's willing to cheat to get what he wants. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the other, uh, I mean, the other characters that I remember, I mean, you've got Josie and the Pussycats, which spawned off into their own, uh, own comics and music and all that other, you have Sabrina, the teenage witch who did the same thing, spawned off into her own, uh, with the old stuff. There was also, uh, Chuck Moose and Dilton because you had the, token black guy you had moose the yep. token uh huge jock and milton who um was the uh smart guy nerd with the glasses right and then you have the faculty most notably principal weatherby and miss grundy mm-hmm. well, and you got to think that for a character like reggie you can't have a comic like this that's going to be successful without having some sort of antagonist you oh no! Have some sort of thing that pops up to cause trouble every once in a while. With when you have a character that is a such a hundred percent homegrown and you know 
I don't say perfect, but just the all-American guy, you've got an Archie. You need to have a foil. And Reggie played that all the way from the beginning as where Archie had, you know, a middle aid, middle, I say middle class type family things. Reggie was richer, you know, had a lot more money than that and was always mocking, uh, what was the name of Archie's car? Old Betsy, the jalopy. Oh, geez, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he had the jalopy and that sort of thing. And then there was always, there was like almost a yin yang thing of it between Reggie and uh, Archie. And speaking of the jalopy, I was digging through some of my looking at some of the old stuff for this one, and I saw a an uh, one of the stories where they're doing they're they're fixing up the car, they're fixing up old Betsy, and they're like, maybe we should put seatbelts in there, make it a little bit safer, and they literally take rope and safety pin it to the seats. Nice. <laughs> and I'm just like, go sixties, you know that is the, logic. I know, right? Uh, you- you're talking about Reggie's role as a foil. In the 80s, they decided that uh, they wanted a foil for uh, Betty and Veronica because the classic love triangle is a big theme throughout. Like, the one thing that never changes is if you've got Betty, Veronica, and Archie, and Archie can't choose between the rich girl with the raven hair and the girl next door blonde. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going. So they brought in this... Uh, redhead to complete the set who is like uh her whole thing was she was kind of hyper sexy which is the uh kind of the stereotype when it comes to redheaded girls and uh to back uh, like fill in her story she had a fraternal twin brother so yeah you've got cheryl blossom and her brother jason Mm mm-hmm which i would not mention except it's going to be super relevant when we get to the second half oh yeah and they actually, like we had talked about when we were discussing it during the uh, during the previous show, uh, over the notes and all that, um, they actually took her out for a little while. Yeah, they considered her way too sexual for a uh, children's comic book, and we're just like, yeah, we got to cut this character. And eventually they brought her back in a big reveal for, like, she's come back to town, everyone get nervous. Yeah. She was about to make a decision, and now there's another girl after him. Well, and the other thing that you, when you say children's comic is that it started out geared towards um, not necessarily older audiences, but teens. And then as it went through the progression and as the, the founders kind of started to wither and wane and eventually pass away, <laughs> they steered it towards little kids because they figured that was their audience. And as we'll find out when we get towards the end of this segment, that shift was the wrong way to go. <laughs> And, yeah, well, uh, that's a, a really interesting transition because I know we usually make our cutoff uh, af- post two thousand, but we're going to be spending the second half of the show entirely talking about Riverdale. So let's let's dip our toe into the waters of what happened to Archie in the last twenty years because well, it's crazy. They What's, came up with all sorts. Like you're right, they came up with lots of funky ideas. Um, one of the things that we were talking about is that they actually split off Archie into two different realities. One where he marries Veronica, one where he marries Betty, and they each yeah, have their own storyline. Life with Archie. They break off into their own storylines. I don't think it did as well as they thought it was going to do. Uh, oh, be- I think you'd be shocked. Really? I was working in a comic book store at the time, and it was insanely popular for an Archie comic. Huh. You have no idea. Because they updated it. They uh, were like, the biggest problem with Archie comics is nothing ever changes, which, as we discussed just a minute ago... That was part of the point. 
Well, but it was kind of lame because nothing changed. It sounds like you're trying to get in here, Joel. So, oh no, I was just going to say one of the things that that was interesting that that uh, brings us to that transition is um, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, the guy who's developed the Riverdale series. Um, in 2003, he wrote a play called Archie's Weird Fantasy, where it turns out that Archie, you know, everybody's the kids are growing up, and Archie turns out to be gay. And the founders of Archie Comics were so negatively opposed to it that they got it shut down. Well, move on to when um, Jonathan Goldwater, the son of John Goldwater, and Nancy uh, Silberkleit, the daughter of um, uh, the other uh, Maurice Coyne, I think was his name, um, take over the company. And they're diametrically opposed to each other. Nancy wants to go to the, the young market and Jonathan sees the potential of the shift to things like afterlife with Archie and the predator. And, and so he hires on Roberto to kind of write some stories. And then eventually Roberto becomes their um, head. What do they call those guys? Um, Editor. Right. Kind of like, yeah. Masa Choli. Like, <laughs> like the showrunner. Yeah. So Masa Choli. And so here's this guy that they were trying to keep away from it because his ideas were too, you know, off the deep end. And now he's the one that's dri- the driving force behind everything that's happening. And Nancy has gone completely insane. And there's there's a whole bunch of great stories about her. But John now is in control. And he's the one that's championed the direction it's headed that now has turned it into being as popular as it was back in the 40s. Yeah. And I, they reached some compromises. Like they're not going to take the iconic character uh, totally left turn and decide to make a character who's a core part of him is love triangle with two girls and make him gay. But they are like, you know, we're trying to update this for modern audiences in a high school. There's no reason why we shouldn't have a gay kid, which is why they brought in Kevin. Mm-hmm. And Kevin is actually partially, well, not partially, but there's a interaction, the ending of life with Archie with Kevin. Um, yeah, Kevin I mean, life becomes... with Archie, uh, what you were talking about is Archie in his two paths. He marries one or the other. It's him going past teenager into his adult years. Mm-hmm. And then they wind up ending both series, one with Betty, one with Veronica, on the same note where Archie takes a bullet for Kevin, who has become a senator. Yep. Yeah, yeah a, uh, a like rampant uh, homophobic uh Basically, dude with a gun is going to try and assassinate Kevin. And yeah, Archie jumps in front of the bullet in the penultimate uh, comic book of both of the two series. And I guess the reason why I always thought there was a third reality where he was dead is because I saw pages from the last issue, which is everybody dealing with what the world's like now that Archie's gone. He, He did the right thing, which is another core part of his character. And now everyone's trying to figure out what's the world like now that he's gone. Well, they had those, they separated off into separate comics too. So there's a life with Kevin. There's the Sabrina, the teenage witch one, which apparently looks pretty dark. <laughs> um, Josie and the Pussycats. And then, you know, the Archie has his own series, I think by himself. Right. Well, yeah, that's the response. So, like after the uh, life with Archie adult time split, uh, around the time Riverdale was uh, being talked about and being because Riverdale was in production hell for a while. They knew the direction it was going. They knew it was super popular. So they're like, we're going to relaunch all these books. We're going to do life with Kevin since Kevin was so well received. We're going to have an Archie comic and we're going to just relaunch 
all of the new, all of the classic Archie comics properties with this modern spin. Oh man. Sabrina looks good. Yeah, Just in general, like <clears throat> this has kicked off a trend where now we've got uh, a very well-received Flintstones comic where they're handling mature themes, uh, deep, deep cut, like existential problems with the marriage. Uh, but you've still got a bowling ball that lives in the closet. His name's Kevin. Oh, <laughs> there's actually a scene between the bowling ball and the vacuum cleaner where they can't understand what the humans are doing and why they treat them that way. <laughs> That actually sounds hilarious. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and it almost looks like they they jumped into what they were trying to avoid at the very beginning, because this literally looks like something straight out of EC Comics. For sure. It's almost like 1990s edgy Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, this, this looks like it could, be, it could be like a Vertigo title. And that's insane to think about from the digest that we read as kids. Yeah. Yeah. They've come to that, and it's... I mean, from my understanding, it's as popular, if not more so, than it ever was. For sure. Yeah, and it's crazy that uh, us, uh, a bunch of guys in their 40s, are looking at Archie and it's like, you know, uh, we recommend you look at Archie comics <laughs> as adults. Um, what is I, I wholeheartedly oh. would recommend that. One of the things that I liked with from the old school ones is they used to do these little weird one-off stories. Like The one that I remember that would show up occasionally was Agents of Pop. P.O.P. Because there was Pop uh, was the guy who owned the um, the soda shop. The yeah. yeah, the so, chocolate shop. The chocolate shop. And they had this whole like run of, of stories where suddenly all the kids in the high school or the main the, the crew were all part of this spy community. You know, and they're trying to save the American way from this. I forget what the villains were called, but there was like just occasionally they would dip into this. Okay, now everybody's a superhero behind the scenes. Now everybody is a spy. Now everybody is, you know, it was like little one-shot goofy ones that I always enjoyed. Because uh, I think mainly because they were outside of the, oh, is Archie going to go on a date with Betty or Veronica? Oh, look, Jughead's eating another hamburger. You know, I mean, they broke out of that. I mean, now they seem like they have, compl well, to a point, they've completely left that trope behind. Yeah, but like you almost can't understand why they're departing from it if you don't know what the baseline is, which is why stuff like Afterlife with Archie and Archie versus Predator, it's bananas, it's bonkers. But like if you don't understand Archie, you wouldn't understand that. Well, that Archie versus Predator that you posted the link for, Mike, I um, in that little documentary I watched, they were talking about that, and I, I read through some of it. And it's kind of like one of those one-off stories you're talking about that Josh is also mentioning. If you look at it, it's in the old style of Archie, the original art style, not the mm -hmm. new modern take on it. And there's these horrific, like really bloody, violent deaths that each of the characters has. Yeah. But it's drawn in that very comic style from the original series. Well, and that's the thing is like this. Uh, that's why that threw me initially because I'm like, okay, Archie versus Predator. Oh, what? Who's going to come in and save the day? No, I'm like, the, the one that I sent you guys was just kind of like a, a teaser. But in that one, Betty, I don't know what happens in the very beginning, but Betty winds up running away, falling down uh, into uh, tunnels, getting all bloodied up. I mean, it's, it's I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of weird to have, like, Betty running around with a bloody knife in her hand. Well, and if you see Jughead's death where his guts are hanging out, I mean, it's... 
it's violent. It's very violent. Uh, and to see it in that style, it's just, it's kind of, it's surreal. You have to send me the link to the rest of it because I only saw the, the preview. Oh yeah. yeah, dude, it is absolutely worth checking out because it, it, that whole disconnect between the art style and what you're actually seeing on the page, there's no <clears throat> a word for it other than art. Yeah, and they used to do that. I mean, if you back in late 80s, there was actually a Rule 34 parody of Archie called Cherry Pop-Tart. That, I remember that. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was way, you know, it was just straight up cartoon porn. But porn. it was, yeah. it did that 80s, it did the Archie illustration and that sort of thing. And there was one of those, <laughs> like, oh, look at that, they got a new Archie book. Oh, open it up. Yeah, that's not Archie. <laughs> that's a kangaroo with a giant penis exactly so, so have we uh, talked the comics to death and we're willing to go into the uh, dark reimagining CW drama I don't think we've talked them to death I think we can I, we think we could talk a hell of a lot more on this I, but sure. I think just to keep the show at a reasonable normal pace we should move on because there's just so much <laughs> history to Archie. I mean, it's, for just straight up, it's a comic that's been around for 55. It's been here around for more than half a century. What the heck? Yeah. So, Older than any of us. We just don't need people calling in. Why the hell is the Archie episode four hours? Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think we should leave it kind of on a note that, you know, Josh was there when the relaunch happened. And I think uh, Mike and I have both dipped our toes into it pretty heavily as far as the current run that we can all agree that it's something that you should really check out. Yeah. A lot of toe dipping in this episode. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we will be back in a little bit. We're going to talk about the uh, re- video reboot of Archie, which is called Riverdale and is currently on Netflix. So I'm going to call spoilers now because it's that it's pretty much all spoilers. That's <laughs> any conversation we have. It's going to be it's going to be spoilers. All right. Cool. All right, we are back, <clears throat> and we are going to talk about Archie now a little bit, and more we're going to talk to Riverdale, the TV show. So post nineteen or post two thousand, we talked some of that about about that. Uh, now Riverdale came out two thousand seventeen. Uh, Rob- Roberto Aguero Casaza. Sacasa, Sacasa, which he does not look. If you have that name in your head, he does not look at all like you would expect. No, <laughs> he's he's wearing a bow tie. He has horn rimmed glasses. He looks like Buddy Holly's kind of Latin cousin. So, I could see that. Yeah, uh, but he is known for writing such movies as Carrie, which we already have talked about, and uh, also the town that dreaded sundown, along with. Strangely enough, episodes produces produces glee. Yeah, you can kind of see the glee influence. I know I was saying that uh, in addition to the Archie and the Twin Peaks elements of the mystery that is Riverdale, you could see glee is almost even better than Mean Girls, though there's a lot of that, like the drama that comes with high school clickishness. Mm-hmm. Well, he was uh, the one that uh, uh, had the crossover between Glee and, and Archie in the comics. 
Oh, really? And that's kind of what uh, segued into this. You know what I just realized? The poster for Riverdale, when they've got everybody standing in front of Pop's Diner, the letters are burnt out. That's the one, only ones that are lit spell die. Yeah. I didn't notice that. That's pretty weird. Um, this stars a one, <clears throat> it, well, it's a subversive take on, on Archie and his friends exploring Riverdale, which I think is actually a walled-in city. They took all these awful people and put them in Riverdale and just left them there to deal with it themselves. <laughs> I mean, small towns, man. Oh. They're not all like that, but this is a common, common theme that there are a lot of darkness and secrets in small towns. Mm-hmm. From Twin Peaks to Smallville, this is like a thing, a theme. Yeah, because well, people don't leave. You yeah. know? And uh, what Grandpa did tends to carry across. So uh, this K.J. Appa plays Archie as known as uh, being a movie called The Dog's Purpose and something called The Cul-de-Sac, hmm. which looks interesting. No cell phones, no internet, no adults. The Cul-de-Sac. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, a Lily Reinhardt as Betty Cooper. Uh, a lot of these are brand new to the uh, to our, you know real short IMDb categories. Uh, she's been in Kings of Summer and Miss Stevens. Camilla Camilla Mendez. Yeah, I was just going to say, they uh, kind of did that with, they did unknowns for the teens and then reached back to their influences and pulled actors from their influences <laughs> exactly. for the adults. Right. Yeah. So she, uh, let's see, Camilla Mendez is Veronica, uh, actress, new romantic, post-production, and Riverdale is her first thing. Hmm. Cole Sprouse. Huh, interesting. I guess not. <laughs> Now, this is one, Cole Sprouse, who I did not know who this was initially until my kids pointed it out to me. Cole Sprouse is uh, Cody Martin from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody on Disney. He was also the little kid in Big Daddy. Oh, my God. That's right. That's why I posted that GIF. He was uh, uh, Frank. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's been around for a while. His first, I mean, his IMDb rolls back all the way to Grace Under Fire, 1993. Yeah, child actor, now grown up, getting a hit series. Right. Nice. And he's kind of the linchpin. Yeah, he, well, we'll get into a little bit of it, but Jughead is kind of like the omnipresent narrator, knowing every, the all-knowing narrator in this one. It's a good, like, bracket device, like, even more ever-present than if we're going to hammer on the Twin Peaks, and I know we will, mm-hmm. like, Cooper talking into his personal tape recorder. Yeah. Jughead writing his story about what's going on in the town is your framing device. Right. Now we kick into the parents. Marcel Nichols uh, started out as uh, the Audrey Griswold in Vegas Vacation back in 97, has been in Lost Girls, <laughs> Felon. NCIS for a few years and um, Teen Wolf. I would guess they probably grabbed her because of her run on The Gates, which is going to be another one of those oh, that's series. Right. That it's like, yeah, this is kind of like what we're going for. Okay. Archie's dad, Fred Andrews, a one Luke Perry, who I think is fantastic in this. Oh, he kills it every episode. He really does. I in in sitting there watching it with um you, okay. If you don't remember Luke Perry, uh, Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero and Pike from Va- Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie. Um, no, this he he's like the only parent adult in this show that I can stand. 
He's not He's perfect. got this careworn, like, life has been beating the shit out of me for 20 years thing going, and he completely sells it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's my favorite adult in this movie. Uh, Casey, What's interesting is he still looks like he's a sophomore in high school. <laughs> no, he, he's, those grooves in his forehead have become another face. Exactly. Uh, Casey Cott as... Uh, What's his name? Oh, he, he's uh, Kevin. Kevin Keller. Yeah, sorry. Casey Cuss, Kevin Keller. Uh, very short IMDb, Law & Order, a few episodes. And Sabrina Carpenter, Y, music video. Uh, Madeline Pesh as Cheryl Blossom, who has all the sexuality that they were trying to not have in the comics, along with a healthy dose of crazy. Well, yeah. she is uh, maybe the most complicated character in the entire show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I give a whole lot of credit to Madeline Pesch just for her portrayal of, like, this episode, you kind of sympathize with her. This episode, you completely fucking hate her. Mm-hmm. And a callback to Twin Peaks, Machen Amick. Shelly. Shelly Johnson. This woman barely aged. She's got her aging settings at, like, 0. .25. Oh, she hit level <laughs> 1,000 early on. That's it. <laughs> Well, if Luke Perry looks like he's a sophomore in high school, she looks like she's an eighth grader. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. That's not weird. true at all. She's uh, Alice Cooper and a complete and utter psychopath. Um, you would think the the happy-go-lucky. I don't know. I, I, you know, you think Betty having this great little family going on, sort of thing. And no, uh, there's. We'll get to that later. Ashley Murray as Josie McCoy from Josie and the Pussycats, who has her own daddy issues. Oh yeah, Geet Ulrich. As F.P. Jones, killing oh, it. Skeet, 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 skeet. I, I, he, I think while as much as I like Fred Jones, Fred uh, Andrews, he is killing it as um, Jughead's dad. For sure. Yeah, he's he's got another one of those archetypes, you know, of the like low class dad whose life has been fucked up from drugs, alcohol, and bad choices his entire life, and is constantly promising to pull it together and failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Lachlan, kind of Lachlan, Lachlan Monroe is Hal Cooper, Betty's dad. Martin Cummings as Sheriff Keller, uh, the uh, uh, Kevin Keller's dad. Um, uh, I just want to go back to Hal for a second because okay, uh, I, I don't want to give too many spoilers for you guys that didn't get as far. But in some ways, Hal Cooper is—he's not the worst adult, but he's in the top four on the well, show. Like, what fascinates me is Lachlan Monroe is typically kind of the dur dur goofy guy in the movies. And here he's playing this very serious role. And in the five episodes I was able to get through, uh, it, it, by the fifth episode, I'm like, okay, this dude's got a lot more going on than we thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, and absolutely. That's going to be true as you go through his arc through the first season. Yeah. I'm, I've got four episodes left and there's been more than one scene where he has been involved and I'm just like, what the hell? You know, yeah. uh, which again, we'll get to that a little bit later. <clears throat> Keep going through. I want, I, you know, I, when putting together the cast list on this, I kept seeing people like, how do I have to? But then there's so many people that are like, you need to know about them. Uh, so we're going to go down to who do we stop with? Lachlan Monroe is Hal Cooper, the dad, uh, Betty's dad. Martin Cummins is Sheriff Keller. Nathalie Bolt, Penelope Blossom. Yeah, Bolt. Uh, the, of the Blossom family, and again, she, uh, District Nine, Sarah Livingston. That's what oh, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to remember what I remembered her for. 
Uh, she's got a good IMDb. She plays the psychotic mother very well. Uh, Haley Laws, Valerie Brown, one of the um, Pussycat. Pussycats. Aisha Bromfield as Melody Valentine, another Pussycat. Mark Consuelos as Hiram Lodge, who I have not seen yet. Uh, yeah, it's because he's not in the first season. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, he's uh, he's in season two. And oh, both of these are must be. Oh wait, no. No, Charles Melton Reggie and Reggie's there. totally in season one. Yeah, yeah he was the, the other football guy, right? The captain. Yeah, he wants being captain of the football team. Spoilers. Yeah, um, I mean Moose, Reggie, and Chuck are the non-Archie football players that you see more than once. Mm-hmm. So some trivia: all the episode titles are based on films. Which is completely true, which is actually kind of nice, because the first one, what was the first one? I'm headed over to the page right now to look it up. I lost it when there was an episode that was Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, because it's a total just, uh, Josie and the Pussycats episode. Yeah, and and uh, it's a, that is a complete 1960s exploitation film. Well, River's Edge yeah. is the first one. Touch oh, of Evil. Oh, yeah. Tonally setting the whole series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Last Picture Show. And some of these are like, oh, man, I remember, like, Last Picture Show is a fantastic movie. The Outsiders. Which one? A Touch of Evil, the uh, Orson oh, yeah. Welles film. Yeah, Lost Weekend. Now, to Riverdale and back again, is that a movie? Chapter 11. That may be yeah, the only one. I don't think so. Yeah, that may be the only one that's not. And I'm not going to go into uh, the next season because I don't want to read. I don't even want to read the titles. It was a 1990 movie. TV movie. It was called to Riverdale and Back Again. Mm. Yeah, there was a 1990 TV movie. That's right. I that, stand corrected. No, that that I t- I take that back. That should have been the old uh, should have been the old part of the show. They tried to bring Archie to TV. That was the one. Uh, it's in the show notes. Who was who was David? Cru- is that? Well, it's Lauren Holly's one of them. I don't recognize the other guy. No, 1990. Okay, so not the one I was thinking of. The one I was thinking of has David Caruso was cast as Archie. <laughs> um, but then he was replaced by Dennis Bowen. Uh, 1990, Riverdale and back again, Christopher Rich as a 30-something Archie Andrews that returns to his hometown. Huh. So there you go. I, I also like that they threw in, uh, um, where is it? I thought there was an episode called Death Proof, but I guess not. Oh, there it's is. Season two. Yeah, it's season two. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, we're going to get to a piece of trivia that exposes how bad I am at math. <laughs> okay, in this series, Jughead wears his pronged beanie as an updated version of a whoopee cap. Whoopee cap. On uh, the early, the character traditionally wears in the comics. The whoopee cap is a popular hat for kids in the early 20th century made by cutting a fedora into a crown-like shape. Huh. Which Damn, Patrick is currently shopping for. A whoopee cap? I don't know if I'd ever want to see Patrick's whoopee cap. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> All right, so uh, Cole Sprouse had just finished binge-watching The Twilight Zone when he auditioned, which inspired him to read his character's narration in the style of Rod Serling, which he pulls off really well. I'm really impressed with Cole Sprouse in this one. Uh, During the first season, there are many 75th annual events happening in the town of Riverdale, such as the 75th annual variety show and the 75th anniversary jubilee in 1941, 75 years ago. Shit, math is hard. Yeah, I, I did 55 at the top of the show, correcting my 50 from last week. And everyone who's like, uh, that's not how math works, Josh. N- now, this is when I caught up to that. Yes, 75 years ago, not 55 years ago. Huh. So, yeah. So, Archie's older than we thought. 
And if you look in that issue of Pep Comics 22, I, I pulled an anthology online, mm. and it has like the some of the best issues from day one. They looked totally different. It was a totally different art style, much much older looking. Um, it was interesting to watch the transition. But I know you left out the thing about the diner, but if anybody's seen Alexander Aja's Horns from 2013, oh no no I'm sorry I skipped over that. Oh, that's okay. The diner is the same diner as that was in Horns, which plays kind of an integral part in the film. And it's it, they didn't change it at all for the movie other than the the, the signage out front. Huh. It's crazy. Nice. Every time I watch oh. it, I'm like, Where, when's Daniel Radcliffe going to come walking in? The other thing uh, that I noted that wasn't in the trivia, but the, we mentioned Pep Comics. Uh, there's a real nice nod to that for the town sign as you're heading into Riverdale. Uh, the motto for Riverdale is a town with pep. Oh, neat. Oh, I missed that. Very cool. Yeah, I noticed the uh, slogan. I was like, this needs to be, this must be important somehow. I was like, to the internet. <laughs> What's got the blue boy? Awesome. So, this had been sitting, like, after all the stuff that we watch for this show, Netflix is like, hey, you may be interested, because now it has, like, the percentages thing in there. Like, this, you have a 98% chance that you're going to like Riverdale. And I'm like, ah. Really? <laughs> yeah, really? Come on, Netflix. I mean, this is, I mean, I don't know. I know I watch some goofy stuff for this, but, you know, come on. Really CW gonna... teen soap opera based on Archie? Yeah. For real? You think I like this? Man, I was expecting Degrassi. You know, and Holy I... Holy shit, this is... Spoiler <laughs> alert, I fucking love this show. Uh, I think we're going to go with three... We just, I hate to cut to the end. Spoiler alert, I love this show. How about you, Joel? I know we've been waxing poetic about it in the chat, <laughs> but you've been kind of quiet. I don't know if we are three for three. Well, here's the thing. When I sat down to watch it, um, I was like, okay, I need to, I've done some research on the old. I need to watch the TV show. And I'm like, man, there's so many things I need to be doing right now, but I got to at least watch one episode and then I'll watch some more at lunch, you know, whenever I get time. So I'm midway through the first episode. I'm like, this really feels a lot like twin peaks. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the episode where they have the cliffhanger, I'm like, fuck it. I got to watch another one now. Damn it. So I ended up watching a second episode, even though I hadn't planned on it because it, it caught me. No, that and what you just said about Twin Peaks is exactly what I said. I watched the first episode, the body in the water, the weirdness going on with the family, that sort of thing. And I'm just like, and the narration at the beginning, Josh, just like, you know, him talking into his tape recorder, the immediate it's it's Archie meets Twin Peaks. Yeah. it. Do uh, you take out the Lynchian uber weirdness and deep supernatural stuff from Twin Peaks and what you've got left is a town with a whole lot of dirty secrets and a murder mystery and it kind of hits the soap opera season one twin peaks angle super hard in fact i would i would go as far to say that if you watch twin peaks and said i really wanted to get into it but it got super weird watch this yeah if you love twin peaks season one and hated season three uh this is much more to your liking than the new Twin Peaks, which we'll eventually do. Mm-hmm. But don't don't get us wrong. There are still a lot of teen drama aspects to the show. They but, still have that in there, but there's so much more going on that that's, I mean, not even secondary plot line. It's just because there's teens. You know, they've got to have something else besides this murder mystery, but there well, are elements of that. Story. And there are elements, yeah. but they're not overbearing. Right. 
Yeah, we talked about the uh, Beauty and the Beast TV show, how it was teen drama hitting the trope so hard it was unwatchable. This goes in the complete opposite direction where it's instantly compelling and you forgive every time they do something you've already seen on Smallville. You already saw 20 years ago on 90210. Mm -hmm. But it also hits on some stuff that's very relevant today, like the, the, the playbook. Oh um, yeah, the slut shaming episode. Absolutely, right. with Which Barb, they, it gives people that maybe were victim to that or that uh, you know wanted their revenge a, a little bit of satisfaction to see the girls get back at them and and not be pushed into a corner. Well, and it managed to do it without being super preachy too. For sure, that was one of the uh, things when I saw the I direction. Will, oh, I'm sorry, I was just say when I saw the direction that episode was going in, I was like, ah, here we go. This is where we're gonna get super preachy. We're gonna get kind of and then it, they managed to do it by and they they didn't preach about it, but they also said, watch what happens when you know the guys went overboard with the whole going after the girls and keeping the playbook and everything. But then at the same time, Betty got really weird in that one. I mean, with the with the black hair wig and the maple syrup. Yeah, I, I don't think you've gotten to where that episode gets a callback, so I'm not going to delve any deeper. Mm-hmm. But that, that episode has consequences down the line. Uh-oh. Um, I also, in that same vein, uh, frequently when you try and do an update to modern values of a classic property, it is, like you say, preachy. And usually I'll forgive that because representation matters. But one of the things that impressed me is the way they handled Kevin. Oh, yeah. It's like they make a big deal of the fact that his dad accepted him. It was just a thing. Uh, When he says he's going to go to the drive-in with a girl who he's obviously not interested in, he's like, aren't there any nice gay kids at your high school? And he's like, yeah, me. Yeah, and they didn't like make it a super preachy point where his dad's so awesome because this is his perspective on it. It's just a thing. Kevin is gay. Uh, he wants him to find a nice boy. That's the way the world is now. So I was really impressed by the handling of that, where they weren't like, hey, look at us, we're being super modern. Mm-hmm. No, and that and that was actually, and the whole Kevin Kevin character is played off really well. Not they also occasionally call themselves out when they dip too hard into stereotypes, usually through the voice of Veronica. At one point, she actually goes to Cheryl, who we're going to have to get into in a second. But Cheryl is being Cheryl, like hardcore head bitch. And Veronica's like, okay, you might be a stock villain from a 1990s teen movie, but I'm not. Right. That actually was pretty damn funny when she did that. And she and she just called. I mean, I like Veronica because she's kind of the. Whereas in the comics, she was the out of touch. Well, the the old comics, she was the out of touch rich girl who really didn't understand how things were going on in the real world. And this one, she's the used to be out of touch rich girl who got a big old slap of reality in her face. Oh yeah, and she is instantly lovable. Yeah, and, and anybody who's a fan of Stranger Things, if you wanted justice for Barb, you should watch episode two. Because Barb's back and she gets justice. Oh, Ethel Muggs. That's mm-hmm. not really. <laughs> right. It's not really Barb, but she is alive and well. Yeah. So, yeah, the reinterpretations of the characters. So we've been talking about how this is Twin Peaks-ish. 
let's delve into a little bit of that because you've got Riverdale, which is this sleepy little town with an economy based on maple syrup. It's literally saccharine sweet, <laughs> sugar sweet. Nice. Uh, and the all the secrets like Twin Peaks start bubbling to the surface when the captain of the football team uh, goes out on a trip with his twin sister onto the lake and never comes back. At the start. Right. Well, yeah, that's why I said safe is found dead, because that's a pretty big plot point. Yeah. So he he goes out and does not come back. Right. And this is this is one of those things where we we called out spoilers in the beginning of this one and we are going to have spoilers. So um, they go out. It starts out with them going out on the boat and then the they they kind of do that cool little before the uh, titles play. They have kind of like a yeah, lead the into the show. Open. Yeah, they have a cold open. And then Cher- the cuts of them going out on the boat, and then Cheryl doused in water, shivering on the sh- side of the shore, um, being found by a troop of Boy Scouts. And then it leads into that, that her brother Kevin has, and Kevin, I'm sorry, not Kevin, it's uh, Jason. Jason. Has Jason. drowned. Yeah, and the Boy Scouts are led by none other than Dilton the Nerdy Guy. Mm-hmm. And even he has this weird... Yeah, he's got dark secrets. I know. Everybody has dark secrets in this in this show. It's like, I don't understand how this how this hasn't happened a decade or earlier, where everything is imploded. Josie and the Pussycats, as like a Destiny's Child alike, with uh, Josie's father being a distant jazz musician and her mother being Robin Givens, who's the town mayor... I feel really bad for Josie. Holy crap. I mean, well, what, oh, the okay. one scene where I felt the worst for her is when they had the talent show or the variety show or whatever it was that they had going on. And Josie's dad, halfway through her song, just gets up and walks out. Especially considering they are fucking killing it. Yeah. They were doing, a, I mean, the, the show was just doing fantastic on there. It was just one of those, I mean... Like, again, he is not on my top three adults that I like in this movie or in this show. Yeah, I, and I also love how everything you might see in an early episode that you're like, you know, I don't quite buy what they're doing with this. Maybe like the way Cheryl reacts uh, being head bitch right after her brother just died over the summer. That's addressed later. Josie and the Pussycats with a hypersexualized version of Sugar Sugar. Like, you get context for why their music is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like the entire series is like an ogre. You know, the more layers you pull back, <laughs> the, more, sure. the more you find out that there's something else going on. And and even just, I mean, even at the base with the murder of, well, the death of, of Jason, initially you're like, okay, well, I, I know where this is going. And then the next episode, no, I don't know where it's going. Now it's going this direction. And it just keeps getting more and more pulled back as these other, as these other storylines are going on that also are having their things get pulled back. And yet throughout the entire show, there's a common thread through every single story that's tying everybody together. And like I said, with Dilton, like when that portion of the, the Jason story gets tied in and you find out their side of it and it's like, what the hell, you know, it just, it keeps going. So I'm kind of curious where it's all going to wrap up in the last episode because there is a season two. So obviously either they figure it out, and they move on to another storyline, or this just keeps rolling. And Josh, you had said you had pulled a pulled a bender on this and watched all the episodes, and I think you said you went to bed at like three in the morning. Um, 
I can I, I almost wound up doing that because they end every episode has got some sort of dun 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 moment to it. Yeah, uh, I was dragging my feet on prepping for this show, and I only started yesterday, and I finally fell asleep uh, like at 3.34 in the morning because I'd watched almost the entire season in one day. I believe it. We got, I mean, I watched a few beginning of the week, and we binged like five, six of them last night, so... And to give context, since this show's going to drop after uh, Thanksgiving, I binged watched this on the day Punisher landed on Netflix. So I, I preferred Riverdale to getting into Punisher. <laughs> uh oh, that's saying something. Yeah, that's. And what I, I mean, another thing that keeps me engaged in this is <clears throat> the flaws of everybody. Archie is the all-American boy. He plays a guitar. He's on the football team. You know, he's got, you know, all this going on. But you know what? There's times where Archie's kind of an asshole. Well, and he is a kid that is being pulled. He's trying to do it all and uh, pr- uh, protect his secret relationship, which he sees as a forbidden romance, but is really like a teacher who has taken advantage and statutory raped him. Yeah, which we're – yeah. I'm not entirely sure that's over either. Well, yeah, that's the thing is there was a lot of criticism from the critics that only saw the opening three episodes of the series, which is kind of how TV reviews happen, about, oh, they're framing this as a forbidden romance, and if the roles were reversed, it would be viewed as horrible. It's like, don't – wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like you, you got to give it time to develop instead of knee-jerk outrage reactions because – if you wait for it, you're going to get a payoff. Mm-hmm. And I initially, you know, like in this, I mean, again, whether or not she's telling the truth, uh, Ms. Weatherby, not Ms. Weatherby, Ms. Uh, Grundy, Grundy. Grundy. Um, you, you know, you discover she doesn't, you know, her past is not what it, what it is. She's changed her name, this, that, and the other. She's, she's packing, um, a huge revolver. What, I mean, that, pistol that she had in her yeah, gun. It looked like a 357 or a 44. Yeah, I think it was a 44, but it was a big freaking gun. She's a small girl. That's going to I think that's must be her her escape plan because if anybody comes at her, she just shoots it at the ground and flies out of the way. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I remember when you first started watching it, Mike, the first thing you posted in the chat after you'd begun watching, you're like, "Mrs. Grundy is a predator." Well, and did you notice something else in the very beginning of this? She wears those heart-shaped sunglasses, which are straight out of the movie Lolita. Lolita, yep. Yep. I did notice that. So, and, and then... And they do a lot of that throughout the series. They have, like you guys have talked about before, about callbacks to other reference points that they're using, other reference material. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of literary references in this one. Yeah. That's um, Veronica's whole thing. I- I'm going to... Gets, I'm going to try not to spoil it for either one of you because I, I want to talk about something that's uh, even past what I've seen because it's super interesting. Uh, both what they're doing with season two and how they manage to replicate the whole mystery setup for the second season in a way ten, Twin Peaks never did. One of the things that uh, hurt Twin Peaks in the ratings is they resolved who killed Laura Palmer and then they didn't quite know what to do next. Uh, it's Probably not a huge spoiler to say the bad death of Jason Blossom is resolved in the first season. Okay. I was what, excuse me, wondering that. 
However, they launched the second season with a new mystery and a cool reference to classic Archie comics. Oh, cool. Well, one of the Archie comics that is not in the Archie universe, it's a superhero. It's one of their most popular superheroes. The Shield. Is the Black Hood. Oh, okay, because there was there was a Shield and the Black Hood that started with um, Pep Comics before Archie. They had done some yeah. superheroes like that. So the wait, does the Black Hood then shows up in, in Riverdale? The Black Hood, or at least an oblique reference to the Black Hood, is a big deal for season two. I, I didn't completely spoil it for myself, but I have a bad habit of wanting to find out more about an actor or an actress who plays a character. So I type their character name into Google, and then it auto-completes, and I get a terrible spoiler, and I never learn my lesson. You know, you can turn, <laughs> you can turn that off, man. <laughs> Just yeah, I, it, it keeps happening to me probably six, seven times a year. I, I want to find more about the actor who plays it. And then it's like, oh, shit, that character died. Yeah, my my thing is whenever I'm starting to do show notes and I start scrolling through, selecting, cut and pasting, that sort of thing. And it's like, OK, da, 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 oh, they're only in five episodes. Shit. Yeah, God absolutely. You know? Been there. Yeah. But as this is this is what we take on to entertain you the listener <laughs> uh, but no joel well, i mean you're not really deep into this you're only like you said what four or five episodes five episodes in? i just finished episode five uh last night okay so what's i mean are you gonna and question across the board for all of us i think josh and i have answered though are we gonna follow this through i i would like to I legitimately would like to see at least what happens at the end of this season. Uh, of course, time is not my friend. I have very little time during a day to, to watch something. But since it's on Netflix and I watch things during my lunch, I may use that as my time to, to complete it. Because at some point, I've got to watch The Defenders, Iron Fist, and Punisher because I'm way behind. Mm-hmm. For but sure. I'm already halfway through the season almost, so I want to at least know what happens. Yeah, it's easier for me to commit to at least capping off season one because i've got one episode left i will probably be finished with season one today nice and you mike have invested your whole family in it basically so yeah like i was saying we i started i started watching watching uh this on my own and little by little it's one of those whereas as i'm sitting down people you know the rest of the family kind of sits down that sort of thing and oh wait a second Who's the father? Who? Wait, what? Who did Grandpa do? What? What? That's sort. Of, I mean, it's and it's one of those things where it's like little by little, everybody's now in there. So I had said earlier I was going getting ready. It's like ten thirty, eleven o'clock. I'm like, all right, we got to go to bed. Um, and yeah, and out of context, all that stuff looks ridiculous. Like if you were just to know about the original comics and see some of the high drama soap opera ish scenes in a clip you might be justified in laughing at it in a, what the hell are they doing with this? This is totally smarmy over the top soap opera. And we're really going to have like Archie mooning about his problems with women and Jughead complaining about what a fuck up he is. But like you get the whole series, you get the context. They earn every melodramatic moment, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. They really do. They really do. And it's, um, I, I think out of the kids, Jughead is probably my favorite character out of all of them. Um, he's, he's that, like I said before, the all knowing narrator, because it seems like all of this is being told in, um, if, if you look at it the way of the, the way of narration, it's all being told in flashback form. 
Yeah. So Jughead is talking about everything that already has happened. Um, he's a very sympathetic character. You, There are points in the show where you're like, I really feel bad for the shit that Jughead is going through. First off, he's named Jughead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, second yeah. of all, it's it's just a... He's like separated enough to observe everything and still involved with everything to be part of what's going on at the same time. And I, I'm really liking that character a lot. I will say I legitimately like every one of the main four characters being Archie, Jughead, Betty, and Veronica. And I will expand the core kids cast to actually include Cheryl and say now I'm not as pro Cheryl as I am the other four, but I do legitimately like all five. But my favorite is going to be the character who in some ways is easiest to hate in the comics uh, but for me, it was easiest to love in the show, and that's Veronica, Veronica Lodge. Oh, yeah. She, she's just so great. Yeah, I mean, she's she's stepping into the, into the show with a weird... Because it seems like there is this class divide in, in Riverdale, where you've got the people who live, live in, this, you know, in the main city of town, then you've got the... Um, I just thought the rich family. The, oh, the uh, Blossoms? The Blossoms. Oh, yeah, and you've got the Blossoms. Right. Then you have, and their, their cadre of people, which you discover when they're looking for Betty's sister. You know, there's these two mobs, for lack of a better term. A little bit of a spoiler there, Joel. But uh, it <laughs> there's this split in between the two of them, and Veronica crosses over both of them, where she can, she can handle the Blossoms because she has been in that world before. And then she could turn around and deal with Archie and Betty and Jughead and all that on the other side of things. So she's almost like the conduit so that both of these both of these uh, cultures within the city just don't totally explode on each other. Yeah, I'd say there's actually three distinct casts. You've got this ultra-high class of the Blossoms, the Lodges, etc. Well, like pre-arriving to Riverdale, the Lodges were most solidly in there. Mm-hmm. Right. And on the border of the high class, you've also got the Coopers, Betty's parents, because, I mean, they own the local uh, paper. Then mm-hmm. you've got the middle class. Most of the kids are going to fall into that middle class. Uh, and then you've got the low class, where Jughead and all the Southside kids. Yeah. You know, the, the serpents and the gangs and everything. And well, right, because her mom's the mayor. Yeah. I uh, lost you guys a little bit. Oh, I said, yeah, right, because her mom's the mayor. Josie. Oh, okay. Josie's high class. Um, yeah, for sure. Josh, can you start o- start over from the um, what you were saying about right before you started talking about the uh, Jughead and the low class? Okay. Uh, I, I'd actually say there's uh, three distinct casts in Riverdale. You've got uh, the high class, which is definitely like the Lodge family, the Blossom family, and even Josie's family because her mom's the mayor. And then you've got middle class, which is definitely most of the kids, including Archie and his dad. They've got a lot of moose and all those. Mm-hmm. You kind of have uh, the Coopers, Betty's family, uh, on the border between high class and uh, middle class because her parents uh, own the local paper, etc. And then, like, way at the bottom, you've got the Southside kids, including uh, Jughead would be your biggest example. Kids from the wrong side of the tracks. Right. So yeah, so it seems to me that 
all three of us love this. Yeah, we're all unusually pro Archie Comics and Riverdale. Yeah, and like I said, I thought we would be. I mean, and that's that's part. Of, I think the way they present Archie in it is, I mean, that that image of the the um, VW Bug with the two people, and I'm like, ah. Initially, my thought was Riverdale. Yeah, it's Archie, but they have sex. Right. <laughs> that's that's exactly what I thought, and it's like, oh no, they have sex and apparently kill each other. So <laughs> yeah, did not just, see that. I just kept thinking CW show. It's going to be a teen drama, and I'm going to hate every moment of it. And you're half right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Drama. But then I look at some of the other shows that they have out there, and, and how popular they are, and what they've done with it. And uh, I am not surprised that it it was better than I was expecting for sure. It was a shocker. All right. So I think we've said what we've come to say. Uh, what do we have on tap for next week, gentlemen? Next week, Julianne Moore show. Correct. Right? Correct. We're talking about Julianne Moore? We're talking about Julianne Moore. Yeah, her, her our, life, her One of our career. favorite redheads. Yeah. Watching. Yeah, if you want to talk about your favorite uh, Julianne Moore uh, flick or whatever to uh, help us along with that next show, or if you want to give us your thoughts on the world of Archie and Riverdale, you can always give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right. And again, like I said before, if you're looking for our older stuff, it's on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and all sorts of internet podcasting directories. You can also get to us at uh, if you want to email us at us at 40go14 at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, find us. Actually, if you look at 40go14, you can pretty much find us all over the place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll be back next week with some Julianne Moore stew. <laughs> all full of turkey. <laughs> Not Julianne Moore, us. What is wrong with you two? <laughs> the hell did you smoke?